Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 93. So um, I'm recording this intro on Labor Day, September 7th, 2020. And I'm going to just make this intro quick because I want to get to my interview, which I recorded on Friday, September 4th, 2020. And um, so I'm just going to quickly give you um, a bio of the really amazing guest that I have on the show today. And the guest's name is Nick Demas. And I met Nick, we'll go into it a little bit here um, when you get into the episode. I met him last year at a business conference for entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm part of a community called Business by Design that's headed up by um, James Wedmore, who is a digital entrepreneur and someone from whom I've learned many, many things in terms of building an online presence and creating programs that um, really allow you to share what you love and um, share it with the right people, people who are interested in your program. And um, so I met Nick at that conference, which was out in California, and we'll go into that a little bit more, but I wanted to just kind of frame it for you. Now, even though you might be thinking, hearing that, that Nick is focusing on digital business and how to launch a digital business and that kind of thing, um, he's actually, even though that is part of his repertoire, he has so many other facets to him that I know are going to be of interest to you and, and really inspire you. He is a musical theater performer. He is also a yoga teacher. So I know that you're going to feel a connection to him on that level. And he also reached the pinnacle of performing because he is a Tony Award winning filmmaker. And he talks in detail about that particular moment so I'm, I'm excited to have you hear um, his perspective on that huge milestone that he achieved in his career. 
And as I said, he's also an entrepreneur and a business coach, uh, specifically focusing on creative entrepreneurs. And I know for us as yoga teachers, creativity is a big part of who we are, um, developing yoga sequences, sharing through the cues, all of that is residing in the creative arena. So um, that's Nick's focus. Those are the, the people, the souls that he um, likes to help. And speaking of souls, he has his own podcast, which is called the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. He's based out of LA right now, although he's traveled the world. And I, like I said, I had the opportunity to interview him on Friday. So um, before we get into, and, and before I kick off that episode, I just want to remind you of a couple of things or just let you know of a couple of things. Um, the first thing is if you haven't yet heard, I've taken all the free workshops I've done over the past month and a half, and I've loaded them into my practice portal membership. So the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal is my monthly membership where you can practice, you can do guided meditations, you can um, watch these free workshops. I've also added an expand yourself section where you can go through some different guided journaling exercises. You can take live classes, set up a private with me. It's really a full digital platform to support your practice. And also, since so many of you are teachers, to support you as a teacher in terms of giving you access to lots of sequences, some of which with different anatomical themes. So to access the portal, just go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the link on the homepage for the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. When you click that, you can subscribe for $10.99 a month, and you'll have access to everything right away, or you can just sign up for the free preview and access the free workshops. There's five in there. They cover a whole host of different anatomy-based topics. And so you can totally check those out for free. And then one more thing is just to let you know, um, in the month of September, I'm gonna be offering two free workshops. One will be a webinar, one will be a workshop, and I'll be letting you know real soon how you can sign up for those. Um, in this week of September 7th, I am also offering a back to school discount on my anatomy manual. And uh, you can get that 200 page full color anatomy manual for $94 instead of list price of 119. And to purchase that at a discount, just send me a DM on Instagram, Bare Bones Yoga. So let's get into that episode. I can't wait for you to meet Nick, to hear his wisdom. Um, I really would love to hear after you listen to this, what you, um, what you thought of the episode, what kinds of things came up for you, and if you liked it, any of those thoughts. So feel free to share a comment on my Facebook page, send me a DM, uh, take a picture of you listening to it. If you're listening on your iPhone, just somehow um, get in touch and let, let us know what you thought. So here we go. Let's start that interview with Nick. All righty. Hi, everybody. My name is Karen Fabian. I am the host of Conversations for Yoga Teachers, and I am here live for another episode, and I'm really, really excited. I don't always have guests. I do sometimes have guests, and I have a really exciting, wonderful guest joining us here today, who I am just so excited to have this person share from his wealth of knowledge. And it's you know, for my listeners as yoga teachers, it's going to touch on yoga, however, so much more. So I'm really, really excited. So I want to welcome Nick Demos to the podcast. Hello, hello. 
Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. And you know, you said it's going to touch on yoga and so much more. <laughs> As we know, yoga is everything, right? So, so it is going to. We can definitely touch on the aspects of yoga and then the extension, the limbs, the branches that that go forever and ever. Beyond. Yeah. Yes. Sure. <laughs> now. You know, as people are listening to this, they're going to have heard your bio in my preamble that I share sure. before, before we launch into this conversation. However, one thing that I'd like to share that wouldn't have been in the introduction is just how the two of us connected. And yeah. I don't always talk about this kind of behind the scenes continuing education of me as an entrepreneur with my listeners. Um, occasionally I do talk about it. Um, and in that regard, I, I wanna share with the listeners that Nick and I are both part of an entrepreneurial community. And that community is led by James Wedmore, who we both consider a mentor of ours in our entrepreneurial growth and development of our own programs and offerings and businesses. So Nick and I met um, in November, even though we didn't meet meet in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, he was a presenter uh, at a conference that I went to in, it was in California, it was in, not Long Beach, what? It was in, it was in Irvine, I think. Irvine, right. And of course it was pre-COVID, so we got on planes or I got on a plane <laughs> yes. and, and we were with 400 people in one room. <laughs> Oh, no masks on, 400 people. Right, all right. oh, the <laughs> memories, the memories, right. Um, and I remember you, Nick, because there were a number of people in the community who were acknowledged for their extraordinary growth and services and offerings uh, and the growth of their business in large part due to what they were offering and how it was really serving people. And I remember Nick went on stage um, with all of these entrepreneurs and you had an opportunity to share your story. And I did, here's a really interesting thing that I just realized, I did vote for you. You did. I did. <laughs> Thank is, you. Yes, which I actually am just having that revelation now or that memory now. So it's really kind of interesting that you're here on the podcast. So Nick, actually, um, I reached out to him in our online community and invited him onto the podcast. And so he's here today. And when he was on stage, it was a little bit of a um, kind of here are all these superstars and let's, you know, support them and have them tell their stories. And there was a little bit of a quote unquote contest, although everybody was a winner. So, um, but I did vote for you in that thing. So that's kind of cool now that I think of it. So that's how we met. And here it is, you know, months later, although it seems like years later, <laughs> and we're socially distancing via the computer and doing the podcast. So again, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm really excited to have you. And I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. Thank you, Thank you for asking. Sure, absolutely. So um, there's so many places we can take this. And, you know, there's kind of what you're doing now what you were doing before and kind of this whole platform you have around storytelling. So I think to kind of orient people, can you share a little bit about, you know, and this is storytelling, although I want to talk about storytelling as a skill separately, but mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your very interesting story of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, my background was as a dancer. And it really all comes down to that sort of alignment piece. 
And that even at 16 years old, I started my professional career as a dancer. So I was working from the gross to the subtle automatically, merely by embodying my body. Mm -hmm. And by 19 years old, I was uh, on my first national tour. I toured Europe and did Broadway nationals and uh, backup dance for Aretha Franklin. And I was having a big dance career. Yeah. I was 26 years old. I remember this so specifically. I was doing the Radio City Christmas Spectacular with the Rockettes. In New York. In New York. Wow. Dancing. And in the show, there is this Nutcracker Ballet. And the, but the Nutcracker Ballet is with characters. And here I was, a professional dancer, but I had a bear head on. And I had to jump off of a trampoline, do a Russian jump, which is uh, yeah. a split jump, right? And then land on a steel stage. And you had to do it five times a day. And I was hurting at 26 years old. Oh my God. And I'm looking, um, and everything is a grid there. It's because it's so big. If you've ever seen the show, it's it's truly is a spectacular. It's called the Radio City Christmas Spectacular because it is spectacular, uh, and it's there's hundreds of people in the show, and you, everything's on a number system. So I'm looking for my number, and I have this bare head on, and it's Christmas, and I'm really upset, and I'm crying. I have tears rolling down my cheeks inside the bare head because I couldn't find my number because I was so hot and sweaty. And anyway, I go back to my dressing room and I took the bare head off and I'll never forget this. I looked in the mirror and I said, this is not the life you want to live. You have got to change your life. Wow. And now I had was somebody who um, was always the one being like, oh, that light doesn't look right. Why are they wearing that costume? You know, I always had opinions, which is not necessarily a good thing for a dancer, backup dancer, to have, have those strong opinions, right? So I realized at that point, I said, you know what? I'm going to start directing and choreographing. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my talents and move them forward and more into alignment. And I got on the phone, old school, picked up the telephone and called every theater I had ever worked at. Wow. And, and said, hey, I'm directing and choreographing, just want you to know, and you know, <clears throat> I had Moxie, right? And one of them said, oh my gosh, Nick, we just lost our choreographer. Wow. Will you come choreograph Godspell? Oh my God, what a great, what a great musical. So I know, an amazing musical. Right. That show, Radio City closed January 7th. On February 7th, I got into a plane and flew to Florida and began my choreography career. Within one year, I had fully transitioned to director choreographer because it was just finding that right lane for me. Yeah. Three yeah. years later, I am now directing choreographing full-time. Obviously, I'm at a theater in Oklahoma City uh, called the Lyric Theater. And while I'm there, they fire the artistic director of the theater. I'm not even 30, I'm 28 years old at this point. And they turn to me and they say, your shows have been the most successful we've had. We really like you. We really like who you are. Will you take over the, the theater for a year while we do a national search? This is a million dollar business. Wow. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I, I thought to myself, what, will I, what, what can I learn in this year? Now, all the while I had been this spiritual seeker, I, particularly sort of in the new age vein of Marianne Williamson and Louise Hay and you know I've been reading and you know been to been to uh, 
talks and speaking, but I didn't really have a full practice. Now I was practicing yoga, but it was sort of here, there. It wasn't as um, regular. It wasn't a regular sadhana practice. Mm -hmm. And I got to Oklahoma. And while I was there that year, they had the best year they'd ever had, they'd ever had financially as well as artistically. And they said, we don't want anybody else. We want you to stay. So I stayed uh, as the artistic director of the theater. And I really wanted a yoga practice. You know, I really had, was missing that, that community that I had in New York. And, but there was a problem. There were only two yoga classes a day in Oklahoma, one in the morning yeah. and one at night, 9 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. In the entire city at that point, this was going back, we're going back 20 years, right? So, and this is when yoga was still a little like on the fringe, you know, especially in that part of the, the, the country. Yeah. And uh, I was like, but I need, a practice. So I would like get out my DVD, my Rodney Yee DVD, remember Rodney Yee and Sharon Korn, remember DVDs? And yeah. I would put it in and I would like, I created this yoga shanty in my backyard and I put up, I, I built like Home Depot shed and I had the flowy curtains and I was doing it, but I really was like, you know, I really want to know what I'm doing. I yeah. really want to dig deeper into these practices. Mm -hmm. And I took a month off and went to New York and did a teacher training program, an intensive 200 hour training program at Sonic Yoga in New York. Okay. And while I'm there, I'm in a meditation. And what came through was, you didn't need to take a month off. You need to quit your job. Oh God. Was That's it a loud voice or was it like a whisper? Where you oh, were like, it, it was loud. It was loud. And it was, it was, it was loud. And it was, um, it's one that I just was like, oh, I have to listen to this. Even though it didn't make any sense. I was, you know, here I had a six figure salary. And by this point I had built this business from, it was like a million uh, a year business with six employees to, we tripled the size, but I had 45 full-time employees. And I, I was just like this, you know, major undertaking that, but I knew that I had to listen. Mm -hmm. If anything that, that, that the practices had taught me was to listen to my body, listen to my spirit, listen to not the, not the, the, the talky monkey brain, but mm -hmm. that voice, that little, that little voice that was powerful. Mm -hmm. So I did, I quit my job. And um, interestingly, I reconnected with an old friend and I knew that I was going to come back to New York and I started a production company. So my last year in Oklahoma, from the time that I quit, I gave them a year notice so they wow. could find somebody. So that last year I started my own production company. I was producing a show in London on the West End. I was flying to New York. I was going to Oklahoma. I was living this crazy life for a year. Wow. Uh, and one of those shows was a musical that I was developing, part of the development team of, called Memphis. And uh, I, so I quit my job and within a year and a half, I am now teaching yoga in New York. I had, was I had taught in Oklahoma, but I was teaching now in New York. I was um, teaching pranayama, teaching meditation and had this production company. Wow. A year and a half, by a year and a half later, uh, I produced a show on Broadway uh, that won the Tony for best musical called- I Memphis. saw that in your, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, and the, but the interesting thing is that I was at the Tony Awards. Here I am at the Tony Awards. At you, and you can imagine this is the pinnacle of success in of your life, course. right? Like this is what you worked for for all of these years. Of course. 
And I had this moment though, when they called the, the show, it was like, there was, everyone was so excited and the, product, the, the team, producing team was jumping to their feet. And I remember just having this moment of, this is it? Wow. This is, this is it? Is this how this is supposed to feel? Uh-huh. So how feel. did it feel? It felt like, like I didn't feel excited. Uh-huh. I didn't feel like, oh, this is awful. I felt like, well, first of all, I felt relieved because I knew then that my investors were going to get their money back. <laughs> From a business standpoint, I was relieved. Yeah. But I felt like empty. I felt like, oh, wow. All these years, I thought this was going to be something or feel like something or fill me up in some way. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't. Yeah. Now what? And I'm, this is all what's going on in my head as I'm walking to the stage to accept oh the award. And I, it, it's all sort of like, like sort of a dream, but actually the moment is captured in a still on CBS of my first reaction. And it is like, I'm blank faced. It's, it's amazing picture because it was wow. so that moment. And I remember it so distinctly. Mm-hmm. So then that sent me on the real journey, a real deep spiritual journey of like digging in and saying, okay, what, what do I really want? And how do I really want to serve the world? Because I thought that was it. And it wasn't. Right. Uh, which led me into a much deeper pra- uh, study of uh, yoga, uh, of myself, of diving into both yoga, yoga uh, hatha yoga particularly, um, having a teacher, a one-on-one teacher, and having a daily sadhana practice, and really diving in and therapy, and really <laughs> exploring my artist. So that includes films and build, included uh, directing films and producing, but creating my own business that brought these worlds together. Do you think that was the missing link for you? That it wasn't your own? Was something about the ownership or tell me? It was something about the parallel paths. I, on one hand, was a yoga teacher and a spiritual teacher. And on the other hand, I was telling stories which do have spirit in them let's 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 yeah. be honest and real but it felt always felt like i was i had two careers going and they were kind of going side by side and the connection point never quite seemed to feel like they intersected uh-huh. properly uh-huh. so i always felt like i was living two halves i had two communities i was jumping back and forth it never felt wholly connected and i think you might be onto something in that it didn't feel like it was the fullest expression of me. Mm-hmm. And were you able to envision, because I don't know that I would even, I could think on a high level of some obvious intersecting points between the artistic performance community and yoga teaching, you know, at a high level, were you trying to think about what it would look like to merge those two parts of your life? Yeah, I think that there is a natural, actually, affinity between them because artists tend to be deeply spiritual human beings and yoga teachers are very physical and, and creative. I mean, yeah. you have to be creative to be a yoga teacher. It's like impossible not to be creative and be a right. yoga teacher, right? So right. I think there's like a natural affinity, as you were saying, yeah. but how it was supposed to look, I didn't really know. Right. And so, but what I did was I just decided I was going to start. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, as, as our mentor says, action brings clarity, right? Like I just said, I'm going to take messy action yep. and figure it out. Right. Right. And you'd kind of demonstrated along the way that you were able to say yes to things, even when maybe someone might have thought I'm not ready, but you decided to take on those opportunities as they presented themselves to you. I love risk. Yeah. I love risk. I think it's, it's the, you know, everything you want is in the risk. Everything that you need to learn is in the risk. Everything that you desire is in risk. And so I've always been a risk taker from the time I was, you know, at 16 years old, having my first professional job, moving to New York at 19, having never been there, never been to New York in my life when I picked up, had a suitcase and moved there. Right. 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 In a time when New York was not exactly the nicest of places. Mm -hmm. So, I think that there's that there's something natural within me that is a risk taker. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I just really wanted over time for it all to come together, as I was saying. Where do you think that risk taking, you know, because risk taking for so many people, even on a day to day level or even throughout their lives is such a terrifying premise, right? And it's what blocks them from taking lots of different steps. How did you develop this risk averse or not? Oh, don't, don't think that I'm not terrified. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely terrified at times. And I think, I think when I was younger, it was actually easier because when I was younger, I didn't think about all the 20 things that could go wrong. I only thought about the one thing that could go right. Right. And, you know, as you get older and as you sit with it more, you can get into your head. But again, the, the getting quiet every day and listening to that, that little voice, that one never leads me wrong. Right, right. It, it really doesn't because, uh, because, again, I will learn something. I always think of, I failed a lot. We talked a lot about the successes just right then and there, but I have to tell you, I failed a lot. I had a lot of failed shows. I mean... Broadway, for instance, um, you know, 80% of Broadway shows fail. 80%, only 20% are successes. So you have to know that you're going to fail. You have to be okay with failure in a public way. Uh, and you learn, it's a muscle. You learn with risk comes failure, but, it all, but also comes great success. And people forget about my failures. They don't remember that show called Vanities. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have even said it. They don't remember that. They only remember the... <laughs> They remember the Memphis, they remember the come from away, they remember the shows that are huge hits. The ones that were misses, they're like, oh, you did that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same in any business. Mm -hmm. So how, now that you got to this point where you had won the Tony and maybe somewhere in your memory, you had this vision of that was going to be your kind of aha confirmation moment. And then there it was, and yet it was totally not that. So then what did you do? You were in New York, you were teaching yoga, and then you were starting something on the theater end of things? Yeah, I mean, I really dove into my artist, basically. I took some time off, I backed away. I was very fortunate because I had a hit show. So I had checks coming in uh, weekly. Right. (laughs) You know, I had residual income coming in, and it gave me this opportunity to write, to uh, direct a film, to sort of dig in and, and find what I wanted. And part of that I knew 
was to help others, to serve in a way that was greater than just my art or myself. And my partner and I decided <clears throat> that we would move to California. And that was a big leap after a long time in New York. I was in Oklahoma for a while, but that long time in New York, it was a big leap to move west. And, but I knew <clears throat> that I needed the space. Mm -hmm. I needed the air to breathe yeah. and for my business to breathe. And I um, was sitting with a friend, a fellow yoga teacher, who uh, said, have you thought about an online business? You seem like you would have a real affinity for an online business. And my, my first reaction, the head reaction was, I can't barely send an email. Like I have no tech affinity whatsoever. Yeah. How could I possibly have an online business? Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, but I sat with it and I thought, well, oh, this is an interesting way to reach because I have a huge network of people across the world from all of these travels and all these shows I've done. And I thought, oh, this is an interesting way that I could reach some people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I decided to give it a go. That was really like that. It was that fast. I was like, I'm going to do it. In fact, I got James, speaking of James Wedmore, I listened to two of his podcast episodes. Here's the power of the podcast. And I purchased his course. Oh my. Okay. After two episodes of listening to him, I was like, he's the guy for me. Yep. And I did it and I jumped in and it was messy. It was mm -hmm. messy at first because I, I, I was teaching meditation and pranayama, which maybe wasn't what people wanted from me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized that, oh, I have these gifts of 25 years that people need, which is storytelling and how to use your story to market yourself. Oh, and right. that's when everything exploded for me. That's when it all, the world just sort of opened up. Did you feel like that storytelling skill set, like what resides in storytelling as a, as a skill set was your kind of um, unique offer to people? Yeah, absolutely. Because of my, all of the years of my training and it from yeah. being, a, I mean, even as a dancer, you're a storyteller, right? So all those years of the storytelling training, uh, and it really played into everything I ever did. When people used to ask me, what do you do? Before I even knew what a, you know, a signature statement was, or, you know, what, what to say, or how to, you know, I, before I even knew any of that, I used to say, I tell stories and help others tell theirs. Huh. And I meant that in terms of even as a yoga teacher, the, the expression of yourself, it's right. part of you, the self-study, right? right. The, that was part of what I did, was help them find their story, uh, their own personal story, whether it's from an asana class or a meditation class or pranayama, right? like it's about that. And so... Uh, when I realized that, that, that really was the significant shift in my business. And I realized that was my special sauce, if you, mm -hmm. if you will. That was what I had to offer. But I also knew that I, that I needed to be very specific about who I was offering it to. Because I knew that I didn't want to teach storytelling to corporate. I knew that I didn't want to teach it to just anybody. I knew that I wanted the community of soulpreneurs, I call them. I wanted yoga teachers because I am one. I wanted uh, people who are mystics and light workers. And I, I knew that that was the community that I wanted to serve. So tell me now, because I, you know, I think for you and I being part of the, 
business by design community and being really kind of, I don't want to say living dual lives, but having a really solid background in kind of marketing and digital marketing and, and the concept of storytelling is part of how you share what you do. However, I feel like, you know, for my listeners in particular who are yoga teachers and many of whom have other jobs that are completely unrelated to teaching yoga and they're teaching yoga on the side or, you know, whatever their personal situation is. I wonder how familiar they are with this idea of storytelling. I mean, even as a consumer watching TV, seeing ads, you know, there is a subtle storytelling aspect there. However, I think what you're talking about when you talk about helping people tell their stories, it's much more in depth and there's more um, to it. So can you share a little bit about like, what is it to help somebody tell their story? What if someone says, just as an aside, I'll just let's talk about this too. I'm just living a normal life. I have no stories to tell, right? So talk about, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I would say to that is that's the exact stories that you should be telling mm -hmm. is those little everyday stories because those are the most relatable. Is that like the Seinfeld show about nothing? <laughs> yes, completely. <laughs> I mean, how much did we all love that show? And it was about absolutely nothing because we could all relate to it. Yeah. The way in which your, your student your client, your audience is going to relate to you is through the little things. Right. Through the big, big stories. You don't have to, I, there's a misnomer that you have to have had cancer or been homeless or gone bankrupt in order to have a story. Right. And that's just not, not necessarily true because I haven't had cancer. So while I can empathize, it may be more difficult for me to actually connect to you. But when you tell me a story about going to Starbucks and standing in line and losing your patience because the person in front of you was so slow and how you can relate that to this, the, the, an asana practice of sitting in a posture that I can connect with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That I can, I can say, oh yeah, that patience thing. Okay. Yeah. How can, how can I embody patience in my life? Mm -hmm. That's a very simple way, a, a simple story, but it's from your life and your point of view. And yet it's not some big, huge thing. So how you are with your children, we can all relate to that. Mm -hmm. We all have a mom. Mm -hmm. We all have a dad. We may not have children ourselves. Some of us do. And especially if your audience is moms, talk the mom stories, right? It's about knowing who your, your what I call my heroine or my hero client rather than ideal client, because ideal to me sounds a little, hmm. But yeah. I like the idea that, that they're your heroine. They are the hero of your story. So right. who, is your, who is your heroine? Who is the hero of your story, your ideal client, talk to them from, and you, you are their guide and talk mm -hmm. to them from that place. Mm -hmm. uh, but the more that you can, you can connect with them, because it's about connection. Your story connects you to them. And that, that now more than ever, I mean, look what we're at now. We are craving, craving connection. Mm -hmm. And when I was saying earlier about secret sauce, the real secret sauce, is you. Hmm. You are the secret sauce. And mm -hmm. so the more that you can express you and your stories, which we all have tons of stories. We don't have one story. That's the other thing that people think I have to have one great story. Like one no. signature story. Correct. One No, you really, yes, that's important to have one. You just heard mine. You right. heard my signature story. I just gave you the, 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 the story, right? 
But I also can tell you, like I was saying, the story of going to Starbucks, the story of what I what I did last night right. that, that that can re, that can relate. And we do this in our teaching of yoga as well, right? You use these stories within your classes, mm -hmm. and it's the same idea uh, in marketing yourself. Mm -hmm. You will draw and attract those that are draw that that are that know you, that like you, that trust you. Mm -hmm. And so the more that they can know, like, and trust you, the more interested they, they are in what your offerings are. Mm -hmm. And the, the quickest way to do that is through your stories. Mm -hmm. Now, how, you know, I think about people who are maybe afraid to share oh. and, and don't want to put the spotlight on them. And this whole idea of personal story, I mean, I also kind of think of it in the light of when you would go on a yoga studio's website and you would read the bios of the teachers and you know inevitably it'd be like i'm so happy to have found yoga it changed my life because and then fill in the blank right right so what um what would you say to people who feel like i don't want to make it about me telling my story i would say it's not about you it's about your heroine or hero customer it's which is about them Okay. So make the story about them and then relate it back to you. Mm -hmm. That ultimately, when you make the story too much about you, then nobody can really fully relate because it puts a distance between you and them. So the more you make it about the student, about their experience, and you relate it to something in your life, right. the better. And start small. The fear thing is the fact that, you know, in my, my course and my classes that I teach, that is the number one thing mm -hmm. that I see from everyone is moving through that fear. You know, mm -hmm. it is, it's, it's vulnerable. It's right. vulnerable to share yourself. Right. And you don't have to start with your deepest, darkest secrets, mm -hmm. right? In fact, don't, because unless you've processed them, gone through them, we don't want to be your therapy right? We, we're not interested in, in being a therapist for you. So, so start small and the small and, and then build over time. And because it's like, again, it's like a muscle, like we were talking about that you, that you use and over time, it gets easier and easier, just like a yoga practice. Mm -hmm. You didn't, you didn't start out doing Ekapada Kundinyasana too, right? right? You didn't start there. Right. You build to those postures and it's the same thing with storytelling. Start small, start easy, start with what feels good. Mm -hmm. Now, I was thinking as you were talking, you know, I can remember, um, you know, my, my first yoga teacher was Baron Baptiste and you're out in California. So Baron, that's where he pretty yeah. much started um, before he came over here to, to Boston. Um, and he, you know, back in like 1999 and early 2000s, when I started practicing, it was when he was actually still teaching in the studios, he was on the schedule, which doesn't even happen anymore. Yeah. And um, people would literally line up outside in the rain and the snow and whatever it was to take his class. And that was back when you would pay cash or write a personal check to take class. No, I remember those days. <laughs> no kidding. I know. Yeah, I'm sure you do. And I remember in my first experiences with taking his class and he had grown up in San Francisco and had been a surfing ocean type person. And then his father, Walt Baptiste was involved in Mr. Universe. I think he was Mr. Universe at one point. Anyway, so he weaved personal storytelling into his teaching. 
And um, he did it so masterfully and he still does it now. I don't see him a lot anymore, but even the last time I took a, a weekend retreat type of thing with him, um, probably about five or six years ago, it was still very much a part of how he taught. And I always thought it was such a skillful kind of threading of the needle, especially in regards to what you're saying um, in terms of his, his keen awareness of how much should I be sharing so that I'm relatable, but I'm not making it all about me. Correct. And also know of other experiences I've had in classes um, where that is what's happening. I'm taking a class from someone and they're not skillfully threading that needle. And as the student, you start to feel uncomfortable. Like this person is sharing something that, and you're, at least for me, I'm in my head trying to think of the bridge. Like, how can I relate this to, like, where's the bridge? Like you're sharing this to me, with me. I'm not speaking because I'm just moving on the mat. I'm searching for the connection for how, what's the theme here? Mm -hmm. So is that part, let's kind of frame this from the perspective of storytelling in the context of teaching yoga. Sure. Because that would really serve my listening community. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we talk a lot about having a theme in, in yoga teaching, at least we used to. I don't know, I, I haven't been, you know, as, no. yeah. I'm sure it's still happening, right? And, you know, Things shift and change in, in the yoga community, but some things remain the same. And one of them is sort of teaching on a theme. And the way in which I used to structure my classes was what is the dramatic question? What yeah, is well, the of course you would have that framework because of your theater background. So now I'm hearing you speak it and I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't even imagine how you sequence your classes with all of your training as a director. It must be just a work of art. <laughs> Well, I used to hope and, 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 and try to make them a work of art for, for certain because I would start every class with what is the dramatic question? And that is what we ask in, in uh, storytelling. Every, every movie, musical, anything you've ever seen has a dramatic question. And it's, it's a yes or no question. Simple as, will the boy get the girl? Yeah. Right? Every movie is sort of based on or. Um, uh, will the mystery, the mystery be solved? Right. right. And so I would take a question that typically came from, uh, you know, something from the, um, maybe it was from the Upanishads or maybe it was from the sutras. And I would take a question and then I would theme the class around that and weave in some personal story, but also some of the philosophy. So that, so that the uh, experience, and I would then sequence also, by the way, postures, leading to my peak pose and all of that, that were, um, if, we're if we're talking um, when I was teaching vinyasa classes, that were all leading to the same point. And so that was the climax, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in story structure, act one is the intro, right? Act two is the meat where you're getting into the question, it leads to a climax, just like it does in a yoga class. And then act three is the denouement, right? It is the the, the, the downside of the class, so to speak, and the story. And I would lead them into that climax so that they were questioning themselves right when they were in that peak pose. Mm. And mm. so the story would be coming out of them at that moment where they would have to answer that question and then they would come down. And then of course in Shavasana, that's when the assimilation of the story and the lesson, because every great story has a lesson, Right, and then the lesson would, would come and they wouldn't even realize 
that I was teaching them a lesson because they were ex experiencing and feeling it. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, in hearing you describe it, I feel like there's such a mastery of so many different skill sets contained in what you described, you know, the, the knowledge of yoga philosophy and these, these, you know, storied, you know, books and references, the knowledge of the sequencing and how to build the sequence, um, the ability to know how much to share from your own personal story. Um, and well, and let me say that, that that took time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it wasn't like, Oh, into 200 hour teacher training, I'm going to be a master at this. Like it took right. me years to, and I was layered. I, 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 yeah, at first it was just get the, you know, get those physical postures out, right? Like get the alignment out, you know, I mean, it was, don't get anybody hurt. Right. Like it was like, and then over time I was able to dig in and, and build it. And some of it, like you were saying, was just a natural affinity because I already had those skills. Exactly. I think though, you know, I can totally appreciate what you're saying. You know, when I think about how I approach teaching, you know, 15 years ago versus how I approach it now, it's very different. And the right. experience is definitely helpful to have. I think the one common theme in what you're saying around storytelling is a common theme that I often talk about with teachers that I uh, interact with, which is this idea of teaching from an authentic place, which I think Absolutely. matches storytelling as a idea. And so even for someone listening who might have heard your description and who might think, oh, well, he has a lot of experience and he's got this theater background. Of course, he can pull something together with all those different components. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about how teachers can share authentically, even teachers who are newer and don't have the experience. And I'll just, before you launch into your thoughts, I just wanna kind of seed our conversation with this memory I have of my first teacher training with Baron when we were in Mexico and we had this terrifying experience that we didn't know about until we arrived where we were all practicing, all 90 of us as a group. And he would literally call on you one by one to practice teach, but you had no warning. So once the first person got called, the gig was up, then everybody yeah. was shitting in their pants, waiting. <laughs> and at the end of everybody's little segment of teaching, each person who practiced taught would sit in the front of the room um, and would hear feedback from mm. the community about their experience. And the feedback was very structured. It was like what I saw, what I heard. It wasn't like, you didn't do this. Or, it was right. very much structured feedback so that the teacher could experience how they came across. And I remember this one teacher was so new um, that she was making a bunch of very obvious mistakes, but she had kept it so light because she didn't take herself so seriously. And so at the end of her experience, she was sitting there and she later said she was waiting to get just the barrage of negative feedback. And instead what happened is everybody felt like it was the most wonderful thing ever because in her lightness of looking at herself, they connected to that also. Mm. And so it didn't matter that the sequence was all over the place. They loved her holding space for them. And that, you know, we talk about things you'll never forget. I will never forget that. And that really speaks to her ability to connect, even as a brand new teacher, this was our two, initial 200 hour, to that idea of, 
staying connected to her authentic nature. Yes, yes. And, and, and ultimately, isn't that why we practice yoga? You know? Yeah, I, mean, I just feel like there's so much stuff. It's like the fog, it's like the filter is so clogged that when teachers get up to teach, there's all of that clogged filtering that has to do with ways of being. And then yeah. all of the clogged filtering when it comes to how do I assimilate what I know about yoga and have it come out in an organized, understandable way. So yeah. that's more on the tactical side. Sure. Let's talk about the way of being side. Yeah, I mean, sure. But what if you're terrified talking in front of people? What if you've got hangups about how you look? What if you feel like, you know, everybody talks about imposter syndrome. I, I hear that a lot from yoga teachers right now. They feel like they don't know enough to be standing there. Yeah, we all, we all feel those things. And it goes back to that risk thing and that vulnerability thing again. Because even, no, matter, no matter where you're at in your teaching career, you always have moments where you're like, oh, wow, I have to step beyond my comfort zone right now. I have to step into myself more fully. I have to be more present. I have to be myself. Right. And it's really uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> and, it's, and again, it's a practice thing that, that just do teach. The more you teach, the better you get, period. Even if it's to one person at a time or two people at a time, your, your, your siblings, your friend, whoever it is that you can draw to and even with them. And sometimes that's even harder, right? To be authentically yourself with your loved ones is actually sometimes harder. Right. Right. So the more you can practice, the more used to it you, you become, and therefore it becomes a way of being. That authentic, authenticity is actually a way of being in right. the world. Mm -hmm. It's not something you put on, it's that you take everything else off. So the more you can take off everything else and be the pure essence, the, the, the pure vehicle, the channel of light that you are, that's what's gonna draw people to you. Just like the, 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 the woman that you were talking about, she was just pure energy. Yeah. She was pure light. And so it, it was drawing people to her. Right. Regardless of if the, the teaching was slightly messy or not quite exactly perfect or, you know, all of those things. Because we've all gone to classes where technically they're a proficient teacher, but their class is uninspiring. Yes. And our job as yoga teachers, and I would say business owners in general, is to inspire people to greatness, inspire people to the next best version of themselves, whatever that looks like. And the more that you can do that, the more people will be drawn to what you are offering and to you because you are doing that for yourself. Right, right. Um, okay, so there's so many different thoughts I have in my head about kind of where I want to <laughs> I think one thing though that would be helpful is to have you share a little bit about now that you've walked us through your story and you've gotten us to the point where we understand more about what you're doing now, what does that really look like? Because I know, and people will know when they hear the intro, when they've heard the intro about your podcast and, and your online community and your programs, but can you talk about that a little bit more about what are you what are you offering to people? How do you connect with people now and how do you help them? Yeah, so 
I still, believe it or not, I still tell stories and help others tell theirs. I mean, really, it's so interesting because it, that goes back 20 years. It's yeah. really what I'm doing now. It's just, it's just the way in which it's manifesting itself yeah. now, right? So I have a, um, a monthly membership community called Conscious Creatives that is a, uh, it's a I call it the, the, the creativity and mindfulness mashup. Uh, and it is a it is a group of uh, like-minded individuals um, that uh, there's a monthly meditation, there's a monthly pranayama practice, and it, it's a it's a membership basically for the creative community. Mm-hmm. Um, but my signature program is called Real Stories That Sell, and real meaning authentic, authentic, real stories that sell, and it really is about tapping into your stories and teaching you how to. Um, harness them using both the um, what I like to call the masculine and the feminine, mm-hmm. um, divine masculine, divine feminine qualities, the qualities of structure, the masculine, and then the creative flow of the divine feminine, and bringing them together, and so giving you both the structure and a way to tap into the well of stories within, mm-hmm. um, and that is really the program that. Um, that's why I call it my signature program, right? It's the one that people are really most drawn to and that I, that, I, um, that I love so much, that I am so passionate about. I think I just hit my mic saying that, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, and just for listeners too, this is an online program, this is not- Correct, an- this, is all, this is all online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have a co- group coaching program called Illumination that um, is really, uh, after Real Stories That Sell, it, it really is about moving your, uh, moving your business online, no matter what the business is. I have a lot of yoga teachers. I have a lot of uh, art, uh, creative artists as well, people that maybe sell their art online. Um, so it's both physical products and, non, and non-physical products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one-on-one coaching, I, you know, I both uh, business and um, spiritual coaching. That's really my online part of my business. And then I have the offline part of my business. And uh, I have two documentaries that are in production right now. One is called The Body Electric, and it is about body image, specifically LGBTQ uh, community. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second one is called Invisible, and it is a documentary about uh, fibromyalgia, chronic pain syndrome, and really looking at it from a mind, body, spirit perspective and how the healthcare system has failed people with fibromyalgia. And what, uh, was, your, what was the connection for you with that? topic my mother has fibromyalgia so i set out on a journey to follow four women over three years and see their path with it and what was working and what wasn't so that i could help my mother wow and it's taken it has taken incredibly strange twists and turns along the way yeah yeah i know i'm doing a lot of reading about the gut microbiome yeah and what we eat and there's so much about the immune system and its relationship with the gut microbiome and inflammation. And I would think fibromyalgia is on that spectrum somewhere. It is absolutely, that's a part of the film really of what you eat will really determine um, the inflammation as you were saying in the body and how that affects uh, the joints and, um, uh, even, the, and even the muscles. So uh, it, it really, um, yeah, it's a big part of that film. Right. right. Um, okay, so one of the things that you said um, when you were describing how you how this storytelling plays out in your programs and what you yeah. offer people, you were mentioning that 
your signature program is offered in an online format and that you have a number of yoga teachers that yeah. are enrolled or have already completed the program. Yeah. And it got me thinking about, you know, here we are, we're recording this on September 4th, Labor Day weekend. You and I were chatting before we went live and commenting on how at one point in March, we thought the pandemic maybe by Memorial Day would um, be to a point where yoga studios could open. But here we are, unfortunately, in September and most of the studios are closed or just serving people, depending on where they live, uh, in very small groups. And I think this time is an opportunity for teachers to maybe expedite their getting into offering things online where without COVID, they might not have even considered building that piece of their offerings. You know, I think prior to COVID, there were many, many yoga teachers where their main way of teaching yoga was in person in a studio. And the, the studio shut down when COVID hit hard and everybody rushed to offer Zoom classes. And then Zoom all of a sudden had all these security breaches and all of that was kind of, I think, getting in the way. And now things have somewhat settled, although I do wonder if teachers really feel like they have a strategy for what right. they're doing versus, yeah, when the pandemic hit, I just kind of started offering stuff online. I'm not even charging for it. I'm just giving out a link on my Facebook or my Instagram, or maybe I just set up my phone. And that you know, is good, right? It's a good way to start to do something. I guess I'm just thinking at this point, now that we're not Memorial Day, we're Labor Day, now is a great time to start to really get strategic because yeah. if you look ahead, it's definitely gonna be end of the year if not into the year. So how does your program help yoga teachers do this kind of thing? Because for many of the teachers I work with, they're focusing 100% of their effort on building their skills as a teacher, not necessarily building their skills in the entrepreneurial arena. Which yeah, I, I think that I know from my yoga friends and from uh, those that I've taught, and I taught in teacher trainings for many years as well, that we like to think of yoga as of service, not as necessarily a business. Right. And it is both, ultimately. Um, and in order to serve students, you must have students. And there used to be this old model of we would go teach in a studio and then we'd go to the next studio and then we might go to the next studio. And we went for a couple studios maybe and we had five to eight, 10 classes a week, whatever it was that we did. And now that's gone right. or at least very limited. So now you really do, no matter what the fear, <laughs> you really do need to step into yourself as the business owner. You'll always work. Here's the interesting thing. You always were that business owner. You right. always were the business. Uh, but now more fully, it's the time to step into it. And by harnessing the power of your story, as I was saying before, it really sets you up with how to connect with and find an audience. Mm -hmm. Because your vibration, what you bring to the space, will attract your, your vibe, your community, and now it truly is on you in a way that it wasn't before. Right. And if, 
for those that want to continue to teach, that want to continue to serve in such a powerful, beautiful way in which yoga teaching is, this is where we currently are. And like you said, not really, not really going to shift for a bit. We don't, right. we don't know. And, and even when it does come back, back, come right. back, right. <laughs> what is that going to look like? Right. Many, many studios have closed. Many of your opportunities are, are, are gone. Some new ones, of course, will come. But I have a feeling there's always now going to be some online component. Even right. out here in California, where a lot of studios are outdoor, they're still keeping uh, the streaming. That's, right. part of, that's part of the business plan now. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a real opportunity here. That's what I really see is this beautiful opportunity to, for yoga teachers to empower themselves to connect and find their audience. And it can be a world audience, as I was saying before. Right. In a right. way, I'm taking, I'm taking a class in New York every week now. I know, isn't that great? I mean, and it's a teacher that I used to practice with in New York that I love, but I live in LA now. And now guess what? I take her class every week. That's, it's great. No, it's great. I just feel like though that the, I mean, this pandemic has shaken the yoga industry to its core. I mean, I think of a place like Kripalu who basically laid off all their staff in April. Yeah, like everyone. Um, right? And so, and I feel like as I scroll through Facebook, every once in a while, I'll see you know, organizations that have a large community of yoga teachers associated with them offering somewhat dated strategies for yeah. the online space. And, and I, I feel like, I know even for me here in Boston, I have a relationship with a nonprofit that serves entrepreneurs of all types. And I go in and do these workshops. Of course, I don't do them now um, around digital marketing strategies and, and, the folks coming in have no exposure to a lot of what I'm sharing. Yeah. And so, same, same. Yeah. So I feel like yoga teachers as a community are, as you say, poised to create something that will serve people who want to access yoga in this time and probably forever in an online yeah. way. However, they don't have the skills because there isn't anyone teaching them how they're, they're learning all the tactical. They're not learning the entrepreneurial. Yeah. So is that part of what your program? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mere, by, your story is, is linked to how you are selling your product. It's called real stories that what sell. <laughs> Right? It's not called real stories so that you can uh, be pretty. I don't know. <laughs> it's called real stories that sell. Yeah. The sell part is, is, is part of it as well. How to get yourself out there in a way that's authentic, that's real, that you don't feel icky or gross or like a salesperson, like, you know, that sells like, oh, that yoga. We all fear that. Right. All, especially yoga teachers, especially those of us that are so heart centered, that's like our worst nightmare. Right. The worst nightmare is to come across as salesy and gross and, you know. Yeah, I can remember before I really dove into training as an entrepreneur, I would never even like at the end of teaching a class if I had a workshop coming up and I had to mention it. And I would feel that weirdness of everybody who's picking up their mat and I'd be like, okay, so just so you know, if you happen to be around in 
in two weeks, I'm doing a workshop on the hips. And maybe if you're around, maybe you'll come, maybe not, whatever, what, you, you decide. Like it was so stupid. Totally, totally, this, totally, totally, totally. Oh my God. And it wasn't until I started to do my own personal work with the neuroscience coach and diving into James's program that I shifted that. And I was like, wait a minute, I have something to offer people. Yeah. This is something that will help people. Yeah, they're going to have to pay, but they're going to get a big benefit from this. So yeah. then I just completely would like love those opportunities at the end of class. And I would be like a month ahead of time already telling them about it. So part of this comes from that old story, that old narrative of we're supposed to give away yoga I for free. I, I agree. And it is, it is antiquated because even then it wasn't free. They had, they had an exchange. They had an energy exchange 20, you know, 2000 years ago when it was guru to student, student to guru, the student worked for the guru. There was always an energy exchange. And so when you can move past this idea of money being evil or terrible, or I shouldn't be asking, or, oh, how dare I, or, you know, that when you move past that to the realization that this is just a beautiful exchange of energy, and that you are of value and what you have to offer this student is so important to their growth. And if they don't step up and actually pay, then they're not going to actually really show up fully. Right. And when you realize that, when that exchange happens, that's when things can be, like you were saying, started to shift for you, Karen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think about even throughout the years, trainings that I've invested in um, on the yoga side of things, uh, how much I got out of those. However, I had initial concerns. Oh, you know, $3,000, go to Spain, learn about the anatomy of the spine. I, that's too much money. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. And then I would go and do it and I would come back and I'd say, oh my God, I had the travel experience. I had the, you know, the relationships that were developed. I learned the content. I'm now armed with all this additional information. Any money that I've ever spent on myself has never been poorly spent. Right, but how, I agree with you 100%. I, I guess I wonder, so why is it so hard for people to do it? I do believe it comes back to those old story narratives. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's similar in my other industry as well, the starving artist. How many times have you heard that narrative of, you know, you might, in order to be a real artist, you must be poor. Right. You know, I, it's so ingrained in us, this idea that we are, um, that, that what we have to offer is something that we shouldn't take for, we shouldn't take in order to do. Right. And I, I, I think it's a narrative that obviously is shifting and we have to continue to shift it. We have to continue to question it. So if you're if you're struggling with that if that's something that's going on in your mind begin to, to ask yourself the, the questions of why really dig into your money story here we are with story dig right. into your money story and and trace back where does this belief come from because it's a belief mm -hmm. it's not truth it's a belief that you have and when you can find figure out what that belief is then you can say ah now i know what this is how can I shift it so that I can then really be of service to people? Right, right. I want you to expand upon that a little bit. I talk about beliefs 
uh, now and again on the pod on my podcast here. Um, and I often talk about them in the context of things that I hear from teachers that are ways of being for them that block them from teaching. Yeah. Um, I think it would be helpful for listeners to hear you talk a little bit about the difference between a belief and something as fact, <laughs> you know, and how the mind can kind of make us think, you know, I, like I can remember when I was going through a really tough time in my teaching and I was really questioning if I should continue teaching. I had all these stories around other teachers that had certain things like, yeah. oh, was on the cover of yoga journal or she kind of hitched her wagon to this particular super popular yoga teacher and that's why she has all these opportunities so i had a lot of um those kinds of talk about stories stories that i used as justification for why things weren't working out for me the way i wanted them and those in my mind were facts like yeah. i really was very entrenched in thinking if right? If this happened to this person, that's why that happened. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen to me. Therefore, I will never get to have those things happen for me. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about this belief versus fact and how you unstick yourself from that? Because right. everything that you just said were actually limiting beliefs, right? right? They weren't, they, they're beliefs that you created. Right. And that ultimately everything's a belief. Hmm. Everything's everything that you're thinking is a belief. So if you can, it's, it's a little like the practice of netty netty. I am not this. I am not that. I am not this. I am not that. Right. Truth is not you, right? Truth is truth. And right. we take on our beliefs in our head to be truth. Yeah, that, that is so true. <laughs> <laughs> And it's so interesting because when I have conversations with teachers or I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with them, I can see their beliefs, but they can't see them. And so then when I share what I observe or hear mm -hmm. um, or reflect it back to them, all of a sudden they see it and they'll yeah. say, oh my God, I had no idea I was thinking that or, oh yeah, you're right. That's how. Which is why every coach needs a coach or every teacher needs a teacher. Yeah. No matter where you are in your journey, you'll always need somebody that can reflect back to you. Yeah. Things yeah. that you can't see for yourself. Yeah. Yourself. I will say that person needs to not be your parents because in my experience, <laughs> I was bitching to my parents about this stuff for years. And you know what they said? Oh, Karen, you're right. You're We're right. And, I, and when I hired a neuroscience coach and spent three grand to work with her, one of the first things she said to me was, shut up, I don't wanna hear your stories anymore. And I was like, thank God you're not my mom because, you know? <laughs> but that is a perfect illustration of it needs to be a kind of agnostic person in relation yes. to you. Um, but oftentimes, you know, let's, talk about it from the perspective of a yoga teacher, afraid to be authentic, afraid to take risks. Who are they sharing these thoughts with? Their partners, their friends, other yoga teachers, not people who are in that kind of agnostic role to be able to really reflect back objectively to them. 
Yeah, and that is why one of the reasons that I became a, a coach, a business coach and a spiritual coach of, of, of sorts is, is for that very reason, because we have a lot of, of, of people out there who are great teachers and get in their heads. Yeah. And they get in their heads. Yes. And they move out of their heart and into their head because it's natural. As you were saying, we all go through these periods of doubt. We all go through these periods of feeling less than I am not enough. I am not fill in the blank. Right. Right. These, these beliefs that we, that we, that we take in and we take on and we, we have this, we carry them on as this persona and at the job of the, the coach or uh, mentor is to put that mirror up, like you were saying. And, it, it, and when you do that, from a place of distance, from non-attachment, if we wanna you know, go there, uh, that, that can show, that can shine a light on not only um, the limited beliefs, but also on your potentiality. Yeah. That oftentimes my job is, is, is not only saying, ah, do you, do you see this? What about this? Let me ask you about this. But also, look at that potential over there. Mm -hmm. Look at what you're not seeing that's possible for you. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think when you talked about teachers who kind of stay in their heads, I often see that. I've started to do these one-on-one -on -one practice, virtual practice teaching, coaching calls <laughs> with teachers where they teach me. Mm -hmm. So they're leading me through a short practice and similar to what I was describing in the teacher training, the first one I went to, then I'm reflecting back to them how I experienced their teaching. And um, many times it's, it's interesting how a lot of these limiting beliefs come through in the way they share yoga cues, you know, because as yes, yes, yes stories in the context of teaching the sequence we're cueing them to do this or to do that and there's so much to how we cue it's not just the words we say it's the tone we use it's the volume it's the pace it's what are we doing in our body language as we say the cues and so when i reflect back many times that will be the door to the yoga teacher just unloading all of this stuff that he or she has and the window for me was my experience of them queuing in triangle yeah. and when i end these calls i oftentimes sit there and i'm like i can't believe it's just so interesting that that's the modality through which all this other stuff is coming through and for the teachers when we have these sessions they'll they'll just have these light bulb moments because this is a personal development. Yoga is the, the path of self-realization, right? It is this personal development. And when you put yourself in the situation where you're a teacher or a leader, there is, it, it, it is an, um, it almost forces you to, right. to, to, to dig in. Right. It's impossible to not to teach, to teach. It's impossible to teach and not have, have that reflective, reflective time. Right. Um, it's interesting when you were saying that about um, the way in which people cue and the sound and the and the you know and the, the words that they use. Going back to my to my story, one of the things that I would do uh, is the way in which I would also cue things was based on what is the, the overall 
story question as well. The, the, the choice of words that I would use, the, the pace in which I would use them was all related to that story. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting too, when you were speaking at the beginning about how you began your journey here uh, and what led you to where you are now, and now here we are in the point of our conversation where we're talking about yoga teachers. Sure, they're teaching yoga, but they're also really sharing of themselves. And when I think about that compared to acting or dancing, in that scenario, did you experience that more as taking on another persona versus being a teacher where you were really owning your persona? Yes, and that's why it never felt fully authentic to me. For some people, that is like taking on that, that feels natural and that feels real to them. And it feels, that's the art. That is art, right? Like but, Meryl Streep, right? Yeah, I mean, come on. That, that is, she, she was meant to do nothing else in this world, right? That's what she was meant to do. But for me, it never felt quite, it felt like I had on a coat. It didn't feel like I was wearing, it just didn't feel like it came from the inside. It felt right. like it was outside in for me. Mm -hmm. um so yeah uh, that's really i've never thought of it that way thank you for that karen well the reason i think of the cues a lot is because you know my area of focus is to teach teachers anatomy and yeah. so i'm teaching them how to take the lessons of anatomy and share that in an understandable way through the cues um and that doesn't always sound like the most um personal developmenty kind of thing because oh but it is oh but, but it is it's the door to so much so yes you know but i think of the cues as you know kind of that way because they're not standing there workshopping and talking about the rotator cuff they're instead sharing cues and underneath that if they have the knowledge that's how it'll come out we're, um, we're a perfect match karen because i um for over 10 years taught subtle body <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, study of the body and using your story in teaching. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's always why I find it interesting when teachers say, oh, I don't want to focus on anatomy that's so unidimensional. It's like, well, not mm, really. It's really no. part of the whole dimension, you know? And, yeah. and many students, it's the doorway through which you will allow them to access other parts of themselves. Absolutely. People, all the time I talk about this, um, you know, people will poo-poo gym yoga, for instance. Right. And I always say, well, if I hadn't walked into that gym yoga class all those years ago, yeah. I wouldn't be sitting here right now teaching you. So what is this judgment that you have based on this gym yoga? That we all have our, our entry point. Right. And over time, it, it may, uh, it shifts. It changes, right. it, it, it deepens if you wanna, if you will, mm -hmm. but, but just because it's like you're saying, the anatomy or the bones or the muscle doesn't mean that it is any less, right. any less as important or any less as valuable of a tool because it, our body's a tool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I wanna, um, and, and I, I didn't ask you this before, we started this episode, um, so I hope I'm not springing this on you. I, I, I would love to hear a little bit about an example, like a case of like a yoga teacher that you've worked with, like something about why that person came to you and 
what was their challenge and how you worked with them. Like, I think that would make what you offer people that are listening more real to hear like something like, is there any something that comes to mind, a person that you worked with? It, it, that's a yoga teacher. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of somebody right away when you said that, and that she had a fear of speaking her truth on camera. And she knew that she uh, wanted to expand her offerings. From in-person teaching to something digital is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. In-person to digital. Yeah. And she was scared, scared, scared to be on camera. And when I mean fear, I mean like she was in high, high fear. Wow. And we had to whittle it down and boil it down to what that fear was. And we had to get to the root of it. And ultimately the root was that she was, <laughs> she was scared that people were going to make fun of her. Because as a kid, she got made fun of a lot. Mm -hmm. And we, when we, once we got to that fear, then we were able to go to, 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 to take that and say, okay, now how do we build up from that? And that really, um, that's really a big part of the program that I do is mm -hmm. getting to those, like you're saying, those limiting beliefs or those deep fears, the, the, the deep seated stuff so that you can come and have those uh, deep and meaningful conversations with your clients, customers, et cetera. And what we did with her then was then we said, okay, so let's get you on a camera. Let's, let's get you started. Because again, action brings the clarity, right? Merely by starting, you're already shifting the energy. So we had her do one for herself. Hmm. She didn't share it with anybody. Mm -hmm. Then we had her get on video and do a video for our community, our Facebook group community for the, the program. So it was just for people in the program and everyone was sharing and everyone was helping and sort of like you were saying, the feedback that they were getting based on their experience of her on video. And then it was, okay, great. And this is over, over weeks, right? And then it was, okay, do a recorded video that you're going to offer your community. But it's so recording, we, so you have control. Correct, you have control of the recording. And then it was, now you're gonna go live. <laughs> right. That's a, and that was sort of the cream of the crop for her of really stepping in. And you know what happened after her live? She got all these comments and people came back and she was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And now she's live like all the time, a couple times a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing realization to end up having. And you kind of say to yourself, why did I wait so long? Correct. It's just, it's like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. She had to go through what she went through to realize home was the best, right? It's just the same thing. And that she had, what she most feared, she had a natural affinity for. Yeah, yeah. Which was so interesting for her to realize that she was actually good on camera. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yet from a personal story standpoint, what's more relatable than her story of how she... Look what she has now to share with her audience of that journey that she just went on. I mean, because we can all relate to being scared to talk in front of people. I don't know anybody, even actors, especially actors, when we, we bring it back to that. I know for me, when I first started speaking as myself on stage, it was hard because I was so used to playing a character that I, to embody myself was so uncomfortable. I, I got the stomach cramps and I, I, was, I would sweat. The sweat would just pour down my face. 
you know, it took me a while to be comfortable being me. Yeah. And that's really ultimately what we're talking about because guess what? This student of mine, did she get some negative feedback? Yeah, you know why? The bigger you are, the more likely that's gonna happen. Right. And because you're not for everyone. And you know what? That's actually a good thing. At the end right. of the day, she was learning who she was right for. And we had prepped her over the course of those weeks to be ready for negative feedback. Mm -hmm. Because just like in your yoga teaching, when you, when you teach, not everyone's gonna love your class. Right, right. And the interesting thing is that just means it's not for them. That doesn't mean you're a bad teacher. That doesn't mean that, um, it, and I also tell people when they first start teaching, you're gonna teach the level in which you're ready to teach for. Somebody's yeah. gonna come to your class, right? And let's say you're really worried that I'm not, an, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I'm not, and it, this relates to that story of her in the sense of they'll come to your class. They'll be very polite because anybody who's actually a more advanced quote unquote teacher than you are, isn't gonna be rude, mean, nasty. They're gonna be polite and they're gonna say, ah, I see where this teacher is. This isn't the teacher for me. And anybody else before that, who is not at that, that space or place will be like, this teacher is great. Right. I love this teacher. Right, right, exactly. You know, and I'm thinking too, when you're describing this, this teacher you worked with that, you know, where we were talking before about the impact of COVID and how it's shifting the industry, I'll bet there are a lot of my listeners who are hesitating on building that online component because of a fear like that. Yeah. You know, not, you know, maybe they haven't done even Zoom classes because they're afraid of being on camera. Yeah. Um, I know yeah. for some teachers, I've gotten into conversations about the weirdness of teaching Zoom classes because the students don't show themselves. They just yeah. They hide. Hair. Yeah. So there's that kind of additional, like it's it's weird enough that we're in where we're in, and then we're doing stuff online, and then people are not even showing themselves. So um, it's it seems like it would be a really obviously important thing to explore personally if you're going to move. I don't want to say with the times, but develop your business so that you can offer things on. So that, well, so that you can be a, a sustainable business, but be also be of service because right. people need you right now. Boy, do, boy, do we need yoga right now. Right. And, and this is, this is the way to do it. Yeah. Um, the way to offer that. And so, um, you know, part of it is always about getting, getting out of your own way. And again, making it about them, not you. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, this isn't about you. You're the channel, the vessel for what is yoga. And, right. and when you can get out of your own way and make it about them, then you don't get as scared. Right. You don't get as fearful. Right. Uh, right. And that's a process. And also have grace with yourself during the process, just like you do as you're, as you're you re I remember being in 200 hour teacher training, my first teacher training and sitting there and being so overwhelmed by so much knowledge yeah. and thinking, I thought I was supposed to know it all by the time the, the 200 hours was done. That's what was in my head, that I'm supposed to know everything. I, I can't possibly know this all. And then I, when I finally surrendered to that and said, ah, this, give myself some grace, this is some baby steps. Right. And that's exactly how going online is. It's about giving yourself grace, taking baby sex, taking messy, 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 messiness. Right. Because it's a bit of the wild, wild west out there. 
we have to remember that this is a really new thing and nobody really knows how to do it. Yes, there are some strategies that you and I have learned that we can teach others. And yet at the same time, I've taken those strategies and I've said, well, this works for me and this absolutely does not work for me and my business. But you know what? Because of my intuition and the work that I've done as, as a yogi, as a human walking the planet, this works for me. So I'm gonna take these and combine them together. And this is what works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as we're kind of, I don't even know what time it is, as we're kind of wrapping up here, yeah. I think I, I kind of want to end on a optimistic note. Absolutely. You know, it's been a downer. I think it's been real. And I think it's such a needed conversation for yoga teachers. Um, I'm thinking back to when you were saying how you started out. And I think for all of us starting teaching, it was very much a teach here, teach here, teach here, teach here. And then um, that being the bulk of what you do. And so it, working with you, being involved in learning how to build an online component, do you feel like even when the pandemic has settled, that will put teachers in a much better position for the long term? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No matter what happens with this online component, to learn the skills and the tools of marketing the, marketing the self, of getting them, of, of owning yourself ultimately. It's really uh, about, about stepping fully into yourself and expressing it. And no, ma no matter what happens, whether we go back to, cl to cl regular classes or we go to this online space or a hybrid, which is what I think will eventually probably happen, having the tools, having the awareness, the self-awareness and the ability to communicate effectively, that's universal. Storytelling has been happening since the beginning of time. Cave people sat around and told yeah. stories. Yeah. And to be an effective storyteller, in fact, during cave times, those that were the effective storytellers were the leaders of the community. Yeah, I think and of so, the Indians and the Buffalo and stories of nature and- All of that, that they were the leaders of the community, the shamans, right? They were <laughs> the leaders of the community. And you as a yoga teacher are the leader of your community. And so therefore being the most powerful, effective storyteller will never go out of style. No matter if there is YouTube or Instagram or Twitter or yeah. MySpace, remember MySpace or Zoom or not Zoom or right. just regular old in-person, dare I say, old school classes. <laughs> effective communication and storytelling is paramount to being a truly effective and uh, brilliant leader. Yeah, yeah, so well said. So tell um, us how we can connect with you and how teachers listening who really wanna learn how to tell their stories and be part of your community and, and maybe even invest in your program, how do they find you? Sure, so uh, go to my website, which is thenickdemus.com. Nick Demus was oddly taken, believe it or not. So I had to go thenickdemus.com on my website and on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I do a couple Facebook Lives every week. Uh, and the podcast is my podcast, like you have a podcast. I have a new podcast called The Creative Soulpreneur. Uh, and uh, you can find me at any of those places. And I love DMs. So DM me on Instagram and start a conversation because uh, 
Well, one of the key components of my business is personalization. It's very important to me because we are all unique individuals walking this planet and what we need is uniquely different. And uh, I pride myself on having real conversations with you from the place and space that you're at, not where we need to be as a group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very individualized. Correct. Highly curated, to use an overused term. A, I like a, it though. A bespoke approach. A bespoke, yes, I like that. A bespoke approach. Yeah, that's Very much. Awesome. No, Karen, can, thank you for having me. Yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, we we chatted for quite the long time. I didn't give it any time frame, so I appreciate your willingness to just. Well, what a great conversation it was, and um, I'm 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 grateful for it. Oh, so me too, and I I really am glad. I I love how you weaved in what you're doing and current conversation about current times. I really think the listeners will thoroughly enjoy it. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was you. great to see you, um, albeit over the internet. Um, and I want you to have a great weekend and I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.